You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, it, it happened on this platform about two years ago. It was the occasion of the state conference of our churches. And uh, a gentleman was on this platform explaining how he'd become a Christian. And he talked about a time when, as a student in a university in Melbourne, he was, as he described it, the champion of the atheists. He felt that his level of, of academic experience and knowledge was far superior to the simplistic and outdated beliefs of some of those in the Christian community. And he was very militant, very active in his attempts to attack and to criticise the Christian community at this particular university in Melbourne. This was here on this platform. And then he talked about how a guy came into his life, uh, I think it was through a, a committee involvement or something, and the guy was a very active Christian who soon became aware of this man's vehement opposition to all things Christian. And uh, they had a very interesting relationship because of their huge differences. And then one day, one day the Christian summoned the courage to ask in a very low-key way, tell me, have you ever read the New Testament? And this guy who was on this platform laughed. He said, of course I've never read the New Testament. Why do I read the New Testament? And then this Christian followed up with this question. Should I be surprised that someone of your obvious academic prowess and incredible mind, should I be surprised that you would be so vehemently critical of something that you haven't even studied? Should I be surprised by that? And the question really got under the skin of this gentleman and it drove him to read the New Testament And he started to read it in depth off his own bat. He started to read around it, get other resources as well. He started to ask questions. He finally became a Christian. A dramatic conversion that just sent shockwaves through the entire university campus. Why was that man standing on this platform two years ago? His name is Dale Stevenson. He is the senior pastor of the Crossways Baptist Church in Melbourne, the largest Baptist church in this country. They attract in excess of 2,000 people every Sunday. This man is a Christian leader of, of incredible reputation and influence within our nation. And that's why he was here as the guest speaker. And I'll never forget his, his testimony. And you have to ask yourself the question, what value, what value can you place on that question From that Christian, should I be surprised that someone like you, who's so critical, has not explored this for yourself? What value could you put on that question? That question has stopped this man in his tracks. Friends, it's a powerful example of courageous faith sharing in in a very low-key way. Nothing dramatic, just a simple question. What we have in our reading brought to us by Brian just a moment ago is another example of a a low-key but very effective faith sharing And the main player is Andrew. And Andrew has already made the discovery that Jesus is the Christ. He's already discovered that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's wanting to share his his discovery with others. He's got a brother, a rough around the edges fisherman by the name of 
Simon, a fairly impetuous sort of guy. And uh, he's the most unlikely guy to embrace Christianity. And what happens? Well, here's his low-key approach. It's recorded in John chapter 1. We read it a moment ago. Look at it. Andrew found his brother, Simon, and he told him, we've found the Messiah. Then he took him to Jesus. A simple introduction. And what value can you place on that? What value can you place on that simple introduction? Simon Peter, the man who became part of the inner circle of of, of trust within the followers of Jesus. The man who who boldly preached the the sermon on on the launch day of the Christian church, the day of Pentecost. A man who wrote under the divine guidance of the Holy Spirit two epistles which have been a source of inspiration to countless millions of Christians down through the centuries. What value can you place on that simple introduction? Now, friends, over the years, I've seen faith sharing or witnessing, as it's sometimes called, uh, move through many different phases. I've shared before, in my early, in my early years as a, a zealous teenager living in Perth, uh, I went out on the street witnessing groups with uh, some of my friends in the Hay Street Mall and we'd uh, sing a few songs and we'd hand out a few tracks and try to engage people. It's pretty scary stuff on a Saturday night. You're kind of half hoping none of your work friends would see you. Uh, that's, how much, that's how strong my faith was. But we had some interesting conversations in those days. When I went to Brisbane, I trained in what was called in those days the Lay Institute for Evangelism. And if you're as old as me, you may have heard of that organisation. That's where you'd undergo a series of training sessions. And then the graduation, which was held in our case on one Sunday afternoon, the graduation involved the group being put out into the community. And you had to go door to door. Uh, And the idea was to knock on the door. When the person answered the door, you introduced yourself as being from the local church and you had one question. Did you know that God has a plan for your life? And uh, you had a little tract which was called the Four Spiritual Laws. Now you can imagine uh, on a hot, steamy afternoon up in Brisbane, you got a variety of responses uh, at the door when you asked that question. Uh, I've had doors slammed in my face. I've had dogs set upon me. Uh, just little ones, but pretty scary. Um, and, and needless to say, I didn't find that method all that effective. I don't know if this hit the eastern states, but in Perth, in the 70s, there was the thing where you wore a little brass question mark. Anybody remember the brass question mark? Oh, you heathen Sydneyites. Uh, I can't believe that didn't come across. Well, in Perth, that was very big, where you wore a little brass question mark. And of course, it evoked the obvious question, oh, what's your question mark? And then you had to prayerfully summon the courage to say, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the question is, where will you spend eternity? And you couldn't wear the badge unless you're prepared to ask that question every time you are. But look, the one, the one aspect of, of faith sharing I do remember was a seminar I attended at Camberwell Baptist Church. I'm going to name this church, I'm going to name and shame this church. Uh, at Camberwell Baptist Church in Melbourne. And I was in my theological training and... 
I went along to hear a guy say something like this. If you happen to get involved, if you engage a friend or a relative or a workmate in a, in a conversation that's moving towards spiritual things and it's drawing them to Jesus, don't allow yourself to be distracted when they will raise issues like family problems or financial difficulties that they're having. Don't let them distract you with any of their stuff. Keep straight on the track of talking about Jesus no matter what. Now, even I had the insight to know that that was not a particularly helpful bit of advice. That is so far removed from what we would regard today as relational, needs-based faith sharing. When a person's problems and issues, far from being a distraction, can actually, can actually form the means by which we start to share about the difference that Jesus makes. You see, the logical extension of what was being erroneously taught at Camberwell Baptist Church would have, would have seen Jesus say to the man who came to talk about his sick son, listen, I'm not worried about your son, fella. I want to know what you think of me. It would have seen Jesus say to the 10 lepers, don't, don't bother me with your illness. I want to know, are you going to be at my rally on Saturday? I want to see you, front row. It would have led Jesus on the, uh, the day of the feeding of the 5,000 to say, before we hand out the food plates, let's hand out the offering plates. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, that, that's, that's not how Jesus, that's not how Jesus related to people. He took a person's needs seriously. He ministered to the whole person. He connected with people through listening, through empathising, taking their needs seriously, which as a model... As a model, that highlights the fact that witnessing is not something we do. It's who we are. You don't go out and witness. You are a witness. I am a witness, as we are. Friends, any positive influence for Christ that we may have over people will arise out of the kind of people we are. That's, it's as simple as that. How we speak, the extent to which we genuinely become interested in them as people, our ability to listen, our willingness to offer practical and help and support when necessary. Now, now none of us gets this right 100% of the time. And the purpose of me raising this is not to, not to have any one of us beat up on ourselves. But let's face it, there is a reason. There is a reason why Paul in Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. There's a reason for that. Through the indwelling power, the transformational power of the Holy Spirit within you and me, we are intended to increasingly exhibit qualities like love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, faithfulness, humility, self-control. And in case you hadn't noticed, people who consistently exhibit those sort of character traits are a little bit rare. (laughs) But they they tend to stand out. Have you noticed that in today's frenetic society? What was the main point of attraction to the early church, the first century church? What was the main point of attraction? It wasn't their organisation. It wasn't the slickness of their worship. It wasn't the glossiness of their brochures. It wasn't even the eloquence of their preaching. It was the love they had for one another. See how they love one another was the word that was said of the early Christians. And that was the point of attraction for people. Now, friends, over the years of my ministry, I've been been criticised for not being deep enough. 
for uh, at times lacking doctrinal and theological content. I've taken that on the chin. But you know what? I resolved many years ago, and I feel so much at peace about this. I resolved many years ago that part of my calling by God is to emphasise the relational aspects of the gospel. I resolved this with the Lord many years ago, that part of my calling is to emphasise the relational aspects of the gospel because in my experience, that's the only thing that ultimately wins through. That's the only thing ultimately that wins through. You see, look, after a few years in a a good Bible-based church, if you're worshipping regularly and you're in a home group, then after a few years, you've got the foundation for all the doctrine and theology you're going to need for the rest of your life. You've been through a few Easter's, a few Pentecost's, a few Christmases, some of the other festivals, some of the teaching themes of a, of a Bible-based church. You're going to get the basis of all the, of the foundation, at least, of all the doctrine and theology you need. It doesn't mean to say we don't stop learning. Of course, we, we never do stop learning. But a lot of Christians have answers to the questions that nobody's asking. Because like they've just become so obsessed with, with doctrine and theology. You can become preoccupied with theology and doctrine and still end up an emotional pygmy when it comes to how you relate to people, when it comes to how you get on with people, when it comes to how you handle relationships. Just as someone can have an, a high IQ and an EQ, an emotional quotient that barely records a reading. We see it all the time. Evangelism that is grounded in building solid transformational relationships is the most effective form of outreach I know. Other people's experiences are different, but that's, that's how it is for me. You see, because people will be more inclined to see what it's like if they like what they see. I mean, people are more likely to be drawn into contact with a church, a Christian community, if they like the people who are representative of that community. It's a sad indictment, friends, isn't it, on the church that so many people have been turned off Jesus because of the actions of some people who claim to be his followers. It's like somebody said, people embrace Jesus after meeting a Christian. People reject Jesus after meeting a Christian. It all depends on which Christian you meet. That's the important thing. Well, it seems that some underprivileged people in the downtown area of the US city of Philadelphia met the right Christians. Uh, This is a story that's relayed in one of Tony Campolo's books. I have used it here before, but it is the best illustration I know of what I'm trying to say this morning. Tony Campolo, famous author, preacher, sociologist from America, wonderful man, very engaging speaker. And he tells of how on one occasion in his hometown of Philadelphia, he ran a, a seminar on this very topic, witnessing, faith sharing for a group of college students. And he said he, he was deliberately exposing them to a certain experiment. And by the end of the first or by the end of the final session, rather, he whipped them into a bit of a frenzy, you know, are you, are you ready to share your faith in Jesus? Yes. Are we going to take this city today? Yes. And he really had them kind of stirred up. And he said, right, well, let's get on with it. Come on. And we get on the bus and they, they all piled onto this bus. We're going to hit this city for Jesus today. And he, he, he recalls as they were driving into the city, all the young ones are clapping and singing and there's a fantastic atmosphere. But the, the, the clapping got a little slower and a little less enthusiastic as the bus started to wind its way into a part of town 
that these kids' parents had warned them about. <laughs> a part of town where there's fires burning in, in abandoned fuel drums and there's, there's, there's rubbish all over the streets and the, 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 the apartment blocks are in shocking repair and there's all kinds of strange people wandering around the place. And the bus stopped and Tony Campello said, well, here we are in the city. Let's get out and talk about Jesus. And he said that what followed was amazing. Some of these kids got out and the level of apprehension and downright fear was quite, was quite noticeable. Finally, one young man had the courage to go to a, a, a door of, a, of an apartment and he knocked at the door and a lady came to the door. She had a little baby with absolutely no clothes on at all. She had a cigarette in her mouth. She said, yeah, what do you want? And uh, he tried to recall what the, the, the lines were and again reminiscent of a, a scene out of the, the King's Speech like we had the other week. He sort of, uh, well, um, I'm from XYZ Church and, and I'm here to tell you about Jesus. And with that, this woman started to hit this guy with all kinds of language, some of which uh, he'd never heard before. And she basically verbally accosted him and drove him down the pathway back out onto the street and he was just, he was a crumbling, quivering mess. He was just shattered. This hadn't been part of the training at all. But then as a result of some prayer and reflection, he remembered a couple of things. He remembered the baby had no clothes and he could pretty well work out what the rest of the situation was like. So he went to a nearby store and in a, into a carton, he, he, he put some nappies, some, some bread, some milk, a few other simple home supplies. This was a moment of inspiration. And he came back to the lady Knocked at the door again, same lady, same cigarette, another cigarette, same little baby. And uh, just before she could let fly, he just kind of held up the box, you know. Uh, It's a kind of a peace offering. And she looked in the box and beckoned him to come in. Made him a cup of coffee. They got talking. They put the stuff in the cupboards. And then came the question at some point in the conversation, what's a nice young man like you, doing in a place like this? Why are you here? And that's when the opportunity came for that man to share the real reason why he, or at least the original reason why he was there. See, you see, friends, that young man went to share Jesus and he found Jesus. He found Jesus in the hurting and the suffering people of inner city Philadelphia. He went to tell the good news But he found an opportunity to live out the good news. And there's a huge difference. It's very similar. We've got similar uh, dynamics here in our Hope Street ministry. And those of you who've been involved in that will resonate exactly with with this story. See, friends, there's no doubt what we do speaks louder than what we say. And that's where effective faith sharing starts. It starts with how we act, how we interact with other people, both those we know and those we don't know. It affects how we talk to staff in a cafe or a restaurant, how we handle people with, in any customer service kind of situation as well as those with whom we live and work and play. It involves communicating a genuine concern and interest for people and their needs and their problems. I'm not suggesting for one moment that every Christian has the gift of being able to engage people in a really deep spiritual conversation. That's a gift that some people have and they use it very, very well. But I do believe that with God's guidance and with the power of the Holy Spirit, 
every Christian can draw on God's help to fulfill the requirements of 1 Peter 3.15. Now, in some of the older versions, that's the verse that says, you know, um, be ready to give an account of the, of the faith that you hold so dear, etc. In typical form, the message, the message brings it to life in a fresh way. And this is what it says. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. It's the living that comes before the telling. And always with the utmost courtesy. That's where some of those schemes that I was involved in as a younger man, whilst they were well-meaning, that's the point at which they kind of dropped short of the mark. They didn't have the other person's needs in mind. It was all about us and our need to get out there and hit people up. And that's not where it starts. Now, friends, all I'm asking this week, and I, and I ask it of myself first and foremost, if it applies to you, that's great, but it's, it's Graham Agnew, number one. I'm asking that this week we recognise and acknowledge that we will have opportunities. You and I will have opportunities to reflect something of the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the power of God, the difference that Jesus Christ makes. We'll have opportunities to share something of that in, in ways that we, at this stage, may have no idea about. All I'm asking is let's be, let's be sensitive to those opportunities, particularly in light of these disasters. There are going to be a lot of people asking questions about faith and, and uh, what's it all mean, what's it all about, and just to be able to tell part of your story how you don't have all the answers. You, you don't have all the answers. And be a very unhelpful person who, who claimed that they did. But we've got one who who satisfies our innermost longings, who gives us an eternal perspective on all of this. Whatever it is, put it in your own words. Tell part of your story. Let's remember, as someone has said, for many people, you and I will be the only Bible they will ever read. Give people a good read this week. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?